So we just want to pray uh, for Stacy. Did you just want to give an update on? Whoa! <laughs> I apologize. The most recent diagnosis sure. that you received. And yep. So, for the last little over a year, I've been struggling with um, mobility issues in my hands and joint pain. I saw an orthopedic a couple of different times. Initially, they recommended a surgery because of the inflammation, but um, I wanted a second opinion. So I went and saw a doctor down at Dartmouth. And he was like, no, I don't think surgery is an option. Let's try um, occupational therapy. So we did, and it kept getting worse. It spread from one finger to the other hand, back to the first hand. And they're like, well, joint stuff like that doesn't spread. It's not like, so they figured there was something underlying causing it. So in May, I was diagnosed with what they call seronegative rheumatoid arthritis. And it's very painful. Um, I'm on a medication right now and there are no good options for medication. I'm on the best one right now and the hope is that in six months it'll put me in remission so I at least have less pain and can maintain mobility and not experience any joint deformity. Um, but it's scary because the side effects could be loss of vision, loss of hearing, the alternative medicine is something that's used to treat cancer patients, which can cause damage to your liver. So I'm scared. <laughs> um, and I believe in God very much, but I have to admit I've been in a really dark place the last few months. I feel very alone. Nobody that knows me understands what I'm going through because it's not anything you can see, but it hurts all the time. I can't get dressed easily. I can't cook easily. I need assistance opening jars, opening doors. I can't tie my shoes anymore. Um, I'm supposed to walk every day, and yet that hurts. Um, so it's just constant, and it's not anything that's curable. There's no surgery. Over time, I'll have to change medications and just constantly go through this. And I'm in a really bad place and now I'm starting to lose friends. And I just feel really alone. And I know God is always with me, but for some reason that dark feeling just keeps wrapping itself around me and I don't wanna leave my house and I don't wanna do anything anymore. I still have to work. You know, I'm the person that takes care of my family, and I still have to do all of those things. So anyway, I asked Jeff if he would just pray for me today because I need it very badly, and nobody else can pray with me at home. <laughs> so uh, if there's anyone that would like to join us and just lay hands on Stacy and pray, we're going to uh, do that. If from where you're seated, you'd just like to show an agreement, just extend a handout towards Stacy. We're just going to pray for her. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love. And Father, we thank you that you aren't scared off by the questions that we have and the fear that we show and the desire to be healed. 
Jesus, we ask in your name that you would just come and bless Stacy again, that she would know that you are not only present, but that you are for her, that you defend her, that you lift her up, that you desire that she would know your complete healing inside and out. Father, we do pray physically you would touch her, that you would perform a miracle in her body, that the doctors and nurses and staff would marvel and she could give testimony to you. But even if she continues, that she would give testimony that you are her hope and her peace, that you can give her joy even during these difficult times. We pray for friends and Christians and others to notice Stacy, whether she knows them or not, to encourage her, to smile, to lift her up, to be your hands and feet. Father, we just pray as a local church that we would be reminded to care for each other, that we would lift one another up, that we would just show great empathy. Father, we thank you in your name, Jesus, because you have known about this day before we were even born, and you still have a plan for us, a purpose, a calling. So God, I just pray that your calling would overwhelm Stacy with great refreshing that she would just know that you love her, but Father, that you have a plan for her life. Jesus, we just thank you. And we thank you that you've called us to journey with Stacy, with whatever she's going through. And we lift up Sam and Stuart, that they would just see you through Stacy's life. Father, we just thank you that we are called to pray, we are called to believe, but we are called to be united together. So here we are, desperately saying, God, we need you. We need you. Thank you for loving us. And Father, for the other prayer requests that we have, that we hold, that just seem to burden us, we dare say, Jesus, take them. We give them to you. We choose to follow you. We love you, Jesus, and thank you so much for being here with us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I think this is what church is for and church is about. So, I mean, you could prepare a sermon or you could give, I don't know, a special offering or sing a special song. But if we can't care for each other that we call family, then... We aren't very good at it, at the least. Just wanted to share, uh, we do thank you for your continued giving and tithes and offerings. Uh, I wanted to make this available to you, the Sacred Overlap. It's going to be our life group in September. There are some copies out. If you would like a copy for our life group, then just see me. And um, learning to live faithfully in the space between. And I think um, it'll be a tremendous encouragement. But uh, if you're wondering, like, where do tithes and offerings go? Well, it does go for my salary. It goes for resources we give to the church. It goes to help pay uh, for gift cards for those that are in need. And we want to be a church that gives. I just recently listened to a podcast, can't talk, podcast, and it was amazing how this one church, uh, they built a water park for their community because the community did not have a water park. And the church had the resources to do it. So if the church has the resources to do it, why can't we get involved in our community? As I uh, was coming in this morning, uh, the principal here, Tom Drake, was leaving. And he just said, hey, have a great Sunday, Pastor Jeff. And I just thought, hey, that's, that's just a great way to start the day. And so uh, let us be an encouragement to others as God uh, provides, provides for us. 
Um, we will have music at the end, but because this might be a longer sermon, sorry, or be excited, I don't know. I just thought, hey, let's give it to the end. You know, see if people are sleeping or not, and then we can wake them up with music. But uh, Acts 1, as we look at Acts, in my first book, Theophilus, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach. This is Dr. Luke telling his friend about what Jesus began to do and teach. Who has told you about what Jesus began to do and teach in your life? What have you learned? Learn from, walk with, invest in. This is to be transferable. This is something we read in Scripture, but it applies to our life that we can just reach out to others. Acts was for the spread of the gospel, the good news, and because it was for them, it is for us that we would spread the good news of Jesus. We would tell others that we have received God's power, that God is with us, His Holy Spirit is present, and we can be His witnesses. We can tell people about Him everywhere. If I ask for a raised hand if I ask for a testimony. Share with me a story today of somebody you shared Jesus with last week. Sometimes we wonder, like, do you mean the four spiritual laws? Do you mean just serving them uh, a cold drink of water? What do you mean? Well, it means all sorts of things because as believers, we show God's love, the spiritual, in the practical of everyday life. Somebody uh, suggested to me that I had to be uh, a Bible preacher and not a social justice warrior. And I'm like, well, I thank you for your advice, but I think if you look at the context of being a Bible preacher, it includes being a social justice warrior so people actually see God's love to them in a practical way. If they're hungry, you feed them, then you earn the right to give them why you fed them, and then you get to share the reason for your hope, and that being Jesus. They can't, it has to go together for the sake of Jesus, not one or the other, because God identified you, you are chosen, you're selected, you are picked to be redeemed, to be restored, to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. You are chosen to share your testimony with somebody else, the good news of who Jesus is, because you are wanted, you are adopted. Well, that could be hard because sometimes you're like, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to be called into this. I, I don't want to be chosen to be a martyr, to give my witness or to open my mouth and share. But God called us because he saw something in us. He actually created us for a specific purpose, to love him and to make him known. Last week, we talked about Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, King Saul's grandson. King Saul was against David and, uh, David became king, but Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. What is this saying? This is saying David chose the crippled boy to be his son and sit at his table. I tried to conclude with last week saying that it doesn't matter if you have crippled feet. It doesn't matter if you have a past. It doesn't matter if something's happened to you that you're dis disappointed about, if you're discouraged about, you're ashamed of. Jesus says, no, you are still welcome. Table. You can sit at the king's table, even with both feet crippled. God is welcoming us in, not saying you have to live perfectly to sit here, but saying, hey, I see you. I know you. I know where you're tempted. I know where you've fallen, but you are still welcome at the king's table. Maybe you relate to Barsabbas, also known as Joseph, also known as Justice. And he was ultimately uh, not chosen. It was Matthias by casting lots. But as they tried to identify people who had been with Jesus the whole time, they said, hey, we choose Barsabbas. 
David chose Mephibosheth, and God is saying, I choose you. He chose me. Well, do you know, like, how inadequate I am? Do you know I don't have this education? Do you know I don't have this personality? Don't. And Jesus still chose us. So I want to go back to why did David choose Mephibosheth? Why does this kind of make sense? It all kind of flows together. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourning, you have mourned long enough for Saul, King Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king this is jumping ahead, that when they arrived, Samuel took one of one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. So I'll try to be kind of quick as we go through. You may have to get your Bible and go through the story at home, but we jump from uh, the first verse where uh, Samuel was looking for the next king. God said, go to Jesse's house. Samuel goes to Jesse's house. He says, hey, Jesse, God said that one of your boys is going to be the next king. Can you imagine Jesse? He would have been so excited. I know if they said, hey, Jeff, one of your ki kids is going to be the next whatever. He'd be like, of course they are. They're my kids. But uh, no, come on in and check them out. And so he was so excited. So they brought in Eliab, the oldest, and he said, surely it's him. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This should get the biggest amen in the world because isn't it nice to know that God looks at the heart? You can be the biggest, the strongest, the best looking, the most successful, who drive the newest car, look a certain way. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, just because everybody else looks at you as successful, everybody else says, hey, I want to be like you. God sees the heart. God sees the heart. So we don't have to compare ourselves with the Joneses or keeping up with whoever. All we have to do is see that we are desperately in love with God and going after him. Jesse had seven sons. He went to Eliab, uh, Abinadab, Shemiah, and uh, Samuel said, no, none of these are the right guy. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Have you ever heard from God like he said to Samuel, hey, uh, the king is going to be in this house, so you go. And then the guy says, hey, these are all my sons. And you're like, nope, 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 seven times. And you're like, wait, did I miss God's voice? Like, what is going on? Sometimes I feel I've missed God's voice, but then you just wait patiently. Samuel then asked, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied. I can relate because I'm the youngest. And sometimes I think, hey, uh, check out that guy. Like he's mature. He's successful. I probably shared this before. I think I did. But uh, I was working at the golf course. This was last year. This, I don't know if it matters, but she was small, smaller, little old uh, elderly uh, Asian woman came in. She was from Korea. She spoke Korean. I didn't. And I'm like, Thank you. And then she tried to speak English. And then she just was really happy that I was a pastor because her daughter that we could pray for, I don't remember her name, uh, is here. And they just want her to go to church. But she explained our Korean names. So she said, ah, Shin Young Suk, my Korean name. Uh, that 
that's female. Are you sure that's your name? It's like, that's what they tell me. I don't know. She's like, oh, it means stone, pebble. It's like, oh, like the rock. Like, I'll take that. That's good. And then uh, she said, do you have other Korean family? It's like, yes, my sister. My sister met gift, precious. Like, oh, nice. And then I was like, oh, well, that's not as, well, maybe that's better than stone. And then my brother, my brother has always been good at anything he ever tried. He was valedictorian of his class. He was a thousand point scorer in basketball. He could try any sport, pick it up. That's just my brother. And keep praying for his wife, Jen. She's doing better, but it's still a long road. But uh, my brother's Korean name means success. I was like, wait, what? So you have precious gift, you have success, and then you have female pebble. Like, I, I don't know how that fits in, but that's just kind of where I am. And I can just think of David. He's out just keeping watch over the sheep. He's just kind of doing some farming. And uh, his dad didn't even think about him. Maybe you come from broken places where your own father didn't even recognize you as one of the family, or maybe he chose another family over you, or maybe something took place and you're just, David could relate. Jesse said, but he's out in the fields. He's watching over the sheep and goats. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. The one that his own father didn't even recognize. Can you imagine the seven older brothers? They'd be like, Samuel, like you're kind of old. Like, were you drinking that olive oil out of the flask? Like, this is not who you should be choosing. This is me. And so as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil. He had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So we go to Acts chapter 2. That was just the intro. So, uh, you know, we're just getting to point one. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in other languages. If you're familiar or more uh, charismatic, this is not the gift of tongues. This was for a specific purpose. The gift of tongues is something different than what is mentioned in here. They were filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues, in other languages. What if God would move in such a way where this place was filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way so we could speak to culture and society in a way that they understood God's truth. They understood God's love. They realized that God's salvation was for them and not just for the religious. What if they understood that God's uh, salvation was for all of us, not just if you grew up where you had to wear a three-piece suit to church and the people said, well, you get dressed up for the king or the president, you have to get dressed up to go to church. There is an honor and respect, a reverence that Christians must be sharing but God's looking at the heart, not at the outward appearance. 
Pentecost, the gift, the comforter is here. This is what the Holy Spirit did in Acts chapter 2. He gave the comforter to us that we might learn how to speak to culture and society in a language that they understand, a language that is for them, that gives them freedom, a language where we just know God's great hope and peace, even though you're struggling with your health. Even though you just lost a spouse, even though you're going through a divorce, even though you might be bankrupt, even though you have another car payment, even though you might fall through the shower because the floor is rotten under your bathtub, even though there's great difficulty going on, God says that we can still know his love and have great hope and peace because Jesus is for us and he is with us. David perhaps showed Mephibosheth great empathy and care because he remembered being the youngest kid watching some sheep when his brothers were being selected to be king. But then Samuel said, no, it's not them. It's, it's you, David. So maybe David remembered with crippled feet or being the youngest, God still calls who he calls. I just wanted to uh, talk about a familiar story if you grew up in church. I'll try to align with scripture, but um, I'm going to kind of tell it uh, instead. There was a guy named Joseph, and Joseph, well, he was kind of immature, maybe perhaps a little bit arrogant, but uh, he had brothers that did not appreciate him. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. So it was not like, hey, I don't appreciate him. He's kind of like, I just don't like him. They were angry. They were frustrated. They were bitter. There was hatred towards him because, well, Joseph had a dream. And Joseph was daddy's favorite. And Joseph, well, he was immature and he was arrogant and he would rub you the wrong way. He had the right answer, but how he presented it. He had the truth, but how he gave it. It was like, I do not want to listen to him anymore. And maybe you've been on a social media account or you've heard a Christian share something that was the truth, but how it came across was, I do not even want to listen to you because how that's being shared, how could you say that there's a God that loves me when you speak with such vileness towards me? He was immature and he was arrogant in Christians. When we post on social media or have conversations with others, let us be humble because we want to speak the truth and love. So we go on that his brothers actually said, we aren't going to kill him. We're going to sell him. So they sold their brother into slavery. And when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He was sold to a guy that had power, a guy that had notoriety. Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph. Can you read that first part with me? The Lord was with Joseph. What's more, the Lord was with Joseph. So even though he was sold into slavery, he was purchased by this guy that had great standing. The Lord was with him. Even though you've gone through a difficult time, even though that you've messed up, even though the fact that you've professed Jesus, maybe you haven't yet, and you need to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. The Lord will be with you. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian um, master. 
Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. Let's pause and look at our own situation. Maybe you're retired, so it doesn't directly apply, or maybe you work for somebody. Maybe you work for yourself. Does your boss or employer know that you follow Jesus based on your work ethic, based on your conversation with others? What if Nor and I work at Top Notch? What if Top Notch started to like explode with growth, whatever that means, and it turned back like, dude, there's something about knowing how he works. There's something about Noah and like he honors not just this position, but he's just working hard. It doesn't matter that he doesn't get paid to clean the floor, but there was trash on the floor. I saw Noah pick it up. It's, what if we did everything to try to reflect God's love so that when people saw that there was some sort of success, they saw they realized, man, you're a Christian. Like you must do that because God changed you, not just because you want a raise or promotion, but out of your love for God, then different things will happen. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. This is the good news, but as we are aware, or you're aware with this story, Satan likes to attack and he attacks. He's not like as crafty as we, we think he is. We know where we're tempted. We know uh, what's going to mess us up. We know if it hits the headlines, like what's going to make the most news. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing. He was a handsome and well-built young man. I wish I had um, Morgan Freeman's voice to read that. He was a very handsome and well-built young man. Okay, we move on. And so Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Young guy had every excuse to give up on God. He could have said, well, God, you abandoned me when I was sold into slavery by my brothers. You abandoned me when I was trying to do the right thing. I'm going to take a spiritual day off. I'm just going to give in to this temptation. I'm just going to sin, and then I'll ask you for forgiveness after. He could have made a several different reasons to give in, but the Lord was with him. Joseph refused. Look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. This didn't make her happy. So he jumped down, and she told her husband Potiphar that he tried to rape her. Verse 19, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there they remained. Potiphar had every right, if this accusation was true, to have Joseph killed. Other scholars and preachers, and I, I don't research a lot of scholars, but I listen to preachers that do, so if that makes sense. But other preachers that listen to scholars, they said that he had every right to throw Joseph or to kill Joseph, but because perhaps, just maybe, Potiphar's wife had a wandering eye. She had a reputation for this type of behavior. This is why Potiphar didn't kill Joseph. He said, no, you're going to prison because just maybe, it is speculation, his wife kind of had this temptation of her own. And so Potiphar realized that there's something not right with my wife and Joseph. He's been faithful. So I'm going to show mercy to him by sending him to prison for two years. He was in prison two years, but even in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. 
the Lord was with him, even in prison. Even after he stood up, he showed integrity. He did the right thing, and then he was being imprisoned for that. And the Lord made Joseph the favorite with the uh, prison warden. The Lord was with Joseph. Can you imagine being hated by your brothers? Maybe you can. Being rejected, getting hired, building your own reputation up, and then being turned on once more, having somebody falsely say something about you that somebody believed instead of knowing the true story. We go on and on, and after two years, he gets restored, and uh, he gets put in a place where he interprets a dream, and this dream says there's going to be famine, and then uh, you're going to have to, or there's going to be wealth, and then there's going to be famine, so you have to manage this. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well, and when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. He was restored to a position of prominence, but the story even gets better than that. Genesis 42, verse 1. This is one of my favorite uh, lines in the Bible. When Jacob, this is Joseph's dad, who thought Joseph was dead, heard that there was grain when there was a famine, but this grain was in G Egypt, he told his other sons, why are you standing here looking around at each other? Why are you standing around looking at one another? Like, you are hungry. There is a famine. I told you that there's grain in Egypt. Why are you just looking at each other like all dumb face? Like, uh, I'm really hungry. Well, you're older. Go get me food. Well, you're younger. Like, how about we go get He's like saying, hey, listen up. Why are you standing around looking around? Because there's an answer to what you're going through. Just so Stacy today, there's an answer to what she's going through. It's calling on Jesus, but also calling on the church, being vulnerable and saying, I need Christians to come into my life to encourage me. I need Christians to pray with me. I need people to gather and to see their smile. I need people just to help because why are you standing around pointing fingers and say, well, they're doing it wrong or what they put on Facebook was stupid? Or why are we standing around looking at each other when God's calling? called us into a specific purpose. Joseph could stand it. Well, I get ahead of myself. Why are you standing around looking at each other? So they went. Long story short, Joseph, the brother that they thought was gone, they didn't know what happened to him. He's the one giving them food. And then after, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, oh, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. I don't know if you've ever had to do like a, I don't know, an apology. like, And you're just like overwhelmed with emotions, and there's just great fear. And what, what you have to say, this is, he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and the word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. You know how we're supposed to tell about Jesus everywhere? We're supposed to tell the story of God everywhere? This is what took place in the palace. Even in the Old Testament, it took place that they were hearing that God had restored Joseph to a place that his brothers could get food and survive. He said, I'm Joseph, he said. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless, as they should have been. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said. So they came closer and said it again. I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you 
to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. If Joseph had not been sold by his brothers, if Joseph, I'm not saying God caused it to happen, but even the fact that he was in prison two years, God knew he had a plan. God restored him, even though it took longer than what Joseph wanted. It took two years for that dream to happen, to be interpreted, for the other dream by Pharaoh to happen, so that could be interpreted. It took Joseph being sold and rejected so that he could save his family by having the foresight of God's interpretation of the dream to have enough food in the storehouse for his family. Maybe... You aren't just crippled in both feet at the king's table. Maybe you're going through a process, a journey of heartache and heartbreak, of things happening to you that are not fair, of things happening to you that have you so discouraged that you want to shake your fist at God, but all you have left is just to believe that there is a God. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. It wasn't what people did. It's what God allowed. So we go back to, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Can you imagine, can you just think about whether it's school administrators, whether it's politicians, whether it's your boss, that they just heard God's language in a way that they understood, that they thought that they rejected Christianity. They knew that Jesus was for them. A prayer request that I'm asking you, inviting you into, is I may have an opportunity to hold a chapel service, a church service, for all the international workers that go that work at Top Notch Resort. And that might open up because there's a lot of staff housing to the other international workers that live right in Stowe, Vermont. The general manager at the resort where Noah and I work does not profess to be a Christian by all indication. By some of the events that they host, you could easily say, like, oh, that would never happen here. But it seems as though God's opening the door for us to speak in a way to a culture that understands the love of Jesus, that needs his hope, that they might know that God is for them, not worrying about how you vote or what stand you take, but the stand is that you love Jesus more than anything. And God is allowing us to speak their language with his love. They were completely amazed and said, how can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. What if people said, how can this be that you Christians are making sense? How can this be that you people from Living Hope Wesleyan Church, you actually care for me? How can this be that you that say that you're a Christian, that you follow Jesus, that you just show great love? I thought you were against me. I thought that you were going to point fingers and judge me, but how can it be that you are speaking my language in God's love. We go down and we all hear these people speaking in their, our language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. This is a closing verse. What can this mean? 
What can this mean that the Holy Spirit wants to come into this place, wants to fill us up, wants to just allow us to be changed in him, that we could share with others that he loves them, that salvation is for them, that you don't have to gather on a Sunday morning to know God's freedom, but that you can know God's freedom wherever you are. You could be in the middle of a sinful act and know that God loves you and he forgives you. And little by little, as you realize God loves you, you begin to love him. And as you love him, because because you've known his love, you start to change your behavior, you start to change that direction, you start to turn away from the things that you're drawn to, the, the sins of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, you start to turn away from that, and then you start to speak the truth in love. What can this mean for us, church, in the middle of summer, when people are on vacation? Maybe it means that wherever we go on vacation, we present Jesus to them. Don't just invite them to church and let the peace pastor talk to them. That might do more harm than good. How about we just show that we are normal people that have been saved by grace and we can love others because there are many that need God's encouragement. They need to know that there is hope in this generation. There's hope in this society. There's hope for this culture that we are not without hope. Even though we mourn and we grieve, we have the hope of Jesus. What can this mean? It means that God is with us. And because he is with us, we are called to a deeper purpose, surrendered to him. Surrendered to him. So as I said, music's at the end, then I'll close in prayer. What can this mean for you, your spouse, your family? What can this mean to our local church? What does this mean for the community that the Holy Spirit is here filling us with great joy of our salvation? What can this mean? I believe it can mean revival for the church and for those that don't know him. What can this mean?